Welcome back to Out of the Question. This week's guest is the former Western Bulldogs great turned AFL commentator turned radio host, Luke Darcy. In 2002, Luke was awarded the AFL Players Association Most Valuable Player Award, the Australian Football Media Association Player of the Year Award, and the Herald Sun Player of the Year Award. He represented Australia in the International Rural Series against Ireland that same year and was captain of the Bulldogs in 2005-06. When he retired, he proved he had a natural talent for broadcasting and remains one of the seven network's biggest stars, not just with its Saturday night AFL coverage, but hosting the Olympics as well. Luke recently found time in his busy schedule to launch the Empowering Leaders podcast, where he and his guests break down the fundamentals of 21st century style leadership, touching on themes such as collaboration, integrity, and innovation. Episodes drop every Wednesday. I started our discussion by asking Luke how his colleagues would describe him. You, you would hope um, that they would describe you as you know, someone who cares about them and gives it a bit of thought. It, it's interesting, having um, played sport for a living for 14 years um, as a profession, and then you get to the end of that and the next chapter, I can remember thinking, gee, all my mates who studied and, and started their career were a long way in front because you've sort of been in this vacuum of professional sport, but you probably underestimated if you've stayed in sport that long for a living, there's some skill sets that you probably bring to the next part of your life as well. So I think you're you're probably naturally pretty team orientated and you work out pretty quickly in team sport. If you don't care about the guys alongside you, you're not going to have success. And so you generally buy into those in your team and you, you, you form these great friendships and relationships. So I think that's something naturally that happens. I hope it has in the next part of my life. I love that part of it in the number of mm. areas that I'm in, just the connections you make in the small teams, whether it be media or in the, the sort of leadership space I'm in as well. So I'd hope they'd say, you know, he cares a lot about about them and loves the, the sort of team part of what we do. And mm. that, that's the intention. Is there a difference? I mean, what's the fundamental difference between working as part of a team, as you say, versus working in the media? Well, it's a, it, mate, it's a good question because I, I think I needed some readjustment pretty quickly after sport because you, you get feedback constantly and you give feedback constantly in sport because you haven't got time to muck around, so you get so used to it. I can remember starting yeah. in media and – having some direct conversations with, and you would be in this space, Adam, executive land and, and realising for the first time that some people don't operate that way. Uh, in fact, they'll say something to you and mean the complete opposite. They'll say something and then turn up in a meeting and say, the, 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 and I was just sort of, my eyes were sort of you know, jumping out of my head. I was like, <laughs> hey, that's, that's, I'm calling bullshit on that. That's not yeah. what you mean. You told me before. And then, you know, I realised I was going to run into a whole heap of conflicts, Adam. Uh, particularly in media. Media is renowned for conversations uh, happening that really have a different meaning. So mm. you don't get away with that in professional sport. You, you don't survive. You just get you get weeded out if you try and have sort of anything apart from transparent conversations. So I, I had a few um, interesting. interesting yeah, I got into a few interesting conversations early days and I, I probably had to sit back and go, okay, you know, people are on their own different path here and you need to be a little bit more fair about that. Just shifting things for a little while because I've heard you broadcast and I've, you know, heard your radio and you're obviously interested in news and sports and, and everything in between. Um, one day I was, I was driving home and I was listening to SEN and Dermot Brereton was talking about a guy who I knew 
his his dad was a teacher at my school. His name was David Hill. He was a, a ruckman at Essendon. And Dermot said, the problem with David is he thinks about the world and you can't afford to think about the world when you're playing football. You just need to be concentrating on AFL. Is that true? Is that like you, you do kind of get a sense of that sometimes in professional sport? Yeah, it's a pretty fair observation, I think, you know, from Dermot in that in that you are pretty narrow in that world and that there isn't a lot of, if you want to excel at it, there's not a lot of advantage, you know, in delving into world politics in the locker room or <laughs> trying to, uh, you know, change the world too often. You've got a pretty narrow focus on trying to win premierships in AFL mm. football and trying to be the best team in competition. So, and look, I've spoken to a lot of other players who've left and, and gone, I almost feel like I haven't got any skills at all that relate to other areas because, you know, I think they underestimate that from a team point of view, mm. but it's such a, such a narrow world in some ways that it is pretty unique. Is that, that Ricky Ponting comment where he, he, he retires from test cricket and he tells the other guys, yeah, it turns out people don't think about cricket all the time. You know, <laughs> they, they think about other things. I, I, the, uh, the, I was just thinking of... Um, through the radio experience, Adam, we, we had this great privilege. We're in Brazil for the World Cup of Soccer and um, Harry Kuehl had just retired and and I could just li- literally leading into the tournament and he came and he sat in this hotel room we are broadcasting from, Mick Malloy and I, and, you know, one of Australia's greatest ever soccer players mm. and clearly all of his professional career, people had sort of, everything out for him he'd had someone to book the car or someone mm. to and he found his way to this hotel room and then he sort of sat afterwards and he went how do i get home like who's <laughs> and i and i remember thinking i, I can't relate to it at your level because i think i've probably you know was nothing like you i know it was nothing like your level but it was just suddenly dawning on him that but the world's that, that's over now i've got to actually yes. start to think think a little bit about how i you know approach the next part of my life they did say that in Money Moneyball, I think, they, in the book, they say, you know, how do you develop coping mechanisms when you've never had to cope with anything? It's true, isn't it? You can't teach uh, perspective, can you? You can only learn it, really. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> right. A question too, mate, is what's the most unhelpful feedback you've received? Yeah, I was giving this some thought uh, because, you know, as I said probably just before, you, you get feedback in footy whether you like it or not consistently and you get used to it and – uh, it's pretty brutal. In our era, it was, it was pretty brutal. So uh, there's there's so many examples. I think of those that weren't that helpful. But the, the one I wanted to go to, when I was a boarder at boarding school, my parents uh, moved from the city of Adelaide to a place called Roxby Downs when I was 14, which is a, right in the middle of Australia, about nine hours out of South Australia. I went back to boarding school. I went to boarding school, I should say. And the, the, the guy in charge was a Christian brother by the name of Brother Bernard. And Fair to say, I don't think he took a great liking to me. And I think the, the feeling was fairly uh, mutual between uh, me and probably a lot of the country lads who were there at boarding school. And he wrote a letter to my mum and he said in that letter uh, a number of things. But the one that stood out was Luke continues to intimidate with his height. And mum rang me. <laughs> she said, what's going on down there? I, thought, I said, I'm not sure that's that helpful. I'm not sure I can grow any shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I can help him on that front. He was a fairly short statued guy. <laughs> uh, 
And look, we were probably up to a bit of mischief, it's fair to say, boarding school, but uh, we, there wasn't a lot of mutual respect there. And uh, and my wife would say, now, you've got a bit of a chip on your shoulder with people in, in positions of authority. You don't think of that authority through their own deeds. And so it's yeah, probably... Yeah created a bit of a blind spot for me going forward but um, <laughs> but i didn't feel like i could do much about being taller than him that's for sure no and he was obviously he obviously had his, a problem with his own height you know <laughs> he, you know it's fine if you're a short guy and you don't have any problem with it but you know if he chooses to be intimidated and he chooses to be a bit weird about it you know maybe it was a bit upsetting that you know i was 13 or something or 14 at the time and i uh, was a foot taller than that might have been <laughs> the, the challenge you didn't go to the same, just talking of uh, South Australia, you didn't go to the same boarding school that Lemo went to, did you? No, we actually went to a, the uh, the arch enemy schools at the time. I, my school was called Ross Trevor College. And I, I was a okay. boarder there and Lemo was a boarder at Sacred Heart and uh, and they had the great footy rivalry, Ross Trevor Sacred Heart. Ah. I think between the two of them has produced maybe more AFL footballers than any schools in Australia. Wow. Those two schools. So, um so Lemo's a bit older than me, but the rivalry between uh, those schools was was extra, and they closed the boarding school down at Ross Trevor uh, for a period of time, and a lot of the farm uh, boys from country South Australia all went to Sacred Heart, and so there was a bit of an outrage, and gotcha. they reopened the boarding school, and that, that was when I uh, I lobbed there. Um, did you feature at all in, in Year of the Dogs? The first time I came across Luke Darcy was in the groundbreaking 1996 documentary Year of the Dogs, where filmmaker and producer Michael Cordell spent a year with the Footscray AFL team, now known as the Western Bulldogs, and captured his journey from being in the doldrums to having a resurgence under new coach Terry Wallace, who we also refer to as Plough. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. Like, if I see one bloke walk out of here, getting a pat on the back from people out there for a good effort, I'll spill up. Because it's just not acceptable. How far ahead of its time when you look back yeah. and think of one that the club allowed full unfettered access to my brilliant film producer, as it's turned out. I've stayed in Tawas, I bumped into uh, Michael Cordell, who's... Yeah who's produced extraordinary television right across Australia. And and, I've, and you've seen it now with all the streaming uh, mm. stories inside sporting organisations. It's become the thing, you know, these days. And I love that you get an insight. But back then, it was just unheard of. But he was such a brilliant producer and um, his camo and sound producer, who we just became great mates with. And so it was an amazing um, unfettered access. And you look back and think, geez, that was pretty... Um, Pretty interesting and pretty raw at the time. Mate, we were all obsessed by it and we all knew, you know, plough speeches off by heart. And <laughs> and you, you generally forgot the camera was there. Yeah. Because I was so embedded and and so um so part of the team. And uh, you know, there was um yeah, there was a few moments we all look back and think, oh, I think that was um that was quite extraordinary. It was a, it was an extraordinary year. There was so much going on. The coach was on his way out and Yes. Terry Wallace was on his way in and, um, you know, you can remember being at the front of training and, you know, when the coach was being sat and cameras turning up and and right. uh, it was a year of challenge. And there's always those things. There was a couple of moments where you think there's a couple of people maybe portrayed a little bit unfairly. There's a moment where we cut one of our senior players, you know, was Steve Wallace, who's a legend of the club. His son Mitch plays at the Bulldogs now. And it was probably the only time I think 
where, you know, I think there was a meeting going. I might have been too young to be included in that meeting or, or maybe it was all in about whether or not we thought, you know, the coach at the time was the coach to go forward. And, uh, and he turns to the camera and says, how about you turn that off now? That's, yeah, and, it, yeah. and it sort of looked like, you know, he was the one behind the coach, which was maybe a little bit unfair. In fact, it was pretty uh, unfair at the time. But, uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, this, this interesting time to be involved. It's strange that the film only made a profit of $200,000 because there are a few AFL fans who haven't seen it. No doubt there was some illegal DVD copying going on. Moving on to question three, what's the failure Luke most cherishes? Plenty of those too, Adam. Um, yeah, along the gap, my uh, my mates in media remind me that I, I don't think I I think I might have touched the ball twice in my first three games. So whole, <laughs> the trajectory wasn't looking great there for a while. I was I was on my way back home to South Australia pretty quickly uh, if I kept that up. But <laughs> but again, mate, I, giving this a little bit of uh, a bit of thought, I, I um you know I, was, I, I generally was thinking of um, the first time I met my wife. And uh, we were at a dinner, mutual friends, and uh, I was sitting across the table from her. And I remember thinking, you know, this girl's pretty special. And we ended up having this really big night, really late night. And um, it would have been late, sort of four o'clock in the morning, stumbled out of the front of Chase's nightclub, Chapel Street in Melbourne, for those that that are aware of what that means. And, um, and, and I suggested to her that it was probably you know, maybe she came back to my house for a coffee four o'clock in the morning. And I've never heard a quicker no in my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was as quick a no. And then she was in a taxi quicker than I've ever seen anyone get in a taxi. <laughs> and I remember waking up the next day and going, geez, I'm not sure you were that smooth at the end there. Um, and I didn't see her for another six months. And I, um, totally different group of people bump into her second time around. I remember thinking, geez, it's a little bit awkward. Um, this is the girl I remember. That's her. How's this going to play out? But <laughs> by 20 years married, almost coming up, and we were four beautiful kids. And um, I had to work really, really hard to get some credit back after that. I think she sort of pegged me and gone, dodgy AFL player, <laughs> um, no good. So I had to fight really hard to uh, to find a way there, Adam, and it's, it's worked out pretty well now. So four kids, one of one of them plays for the Bulldogs? Yeah, look, it's it's and and I was a father son as well. My dad. That's uh, right. So um, yeah, look, it's a really um, out of body experience in some ways when you, you know, he's eighteen, it's his first year, but to see, um, yeah, he's got a fair bit of uh, passion for for he loves loves the game, and to see him at the same piece of grass my dad was at, oh, wow. so many years that I've spent such a big part of my life that now to see him there it was to be honest, it was pretty. I remember dropping him first day uh at training and uh, thinking it was it was a, a pretty emotional um to, to see you know the history that's sort of been there for our family are you uh, are you quite demonstrative in in, in the stands or are you like steve silvani and just like nothing <laughs> just giving yeah, nothing I, away yeah my dad I, I described um who passed away about 18 months ago dad but it wasn't until his funeral that i Realised that I describe him as the least over the top dad you could ever <laughs> like. He he, and I and I was reflecting on it at, at his funeral where he didn't say one thing. To, my whole career, he never ever gave any feedback at all. Like it was just you know, are you happy? How's life, mate? 
and he watched me. I know he watched me really closely. And mate, I played a lot of average games, Adam. So that would have taken a fair bit of um, discipline not to give me some feedback <laughs> at various stages. So I, I think I and I hope I've probably just been in that mold. I mean, where it's you know your kids, it's their life to live. I've tried to stay out of their zone too much. I mean, they're to support. You know, I, I have coached uh, the oldest one a little bit in junior footy. Uh, which has been great fun. Got to know his mates really well. But no, nah, I feel like it's sort of his his time and I'll be as far in the back uh, as I can. Which word or phrase do you most overuse? Yes, I did um, breakfast radio, Adam, for 11 years um, with Eddie Maguire, Mick Malloy and Will Anderson. For, uh, I think I think Mick was there for seven or eight of those years and and Will for a number as well, which was a great experience and, and something I really enjoyed. Um, and we had a range of really interesting people come through um, mm. and over a long period of time, which I, which I really enjoyed in a whole different range of areas. But when there was someone from the sporting sphere, I'd normally do the introduction. And, you know, when you start saying things, you don't realise you're saying it all the time, but I'd get these messages from my mates that, and it could, it could be, you know, I know Greg Chappell's been on your podcast or and you'd introduce this as the great Greg Chappell. And at the yeah. end of the interview, I had this habit of saying, that is one of the greatest people of all time. You won't meet a great, <laughs> you won't meet a better, and, and then it's, and then they were just going, how many great people of all time can you have met? And I thought, I didn't realize I was saying it, but there's something about being in that sporting sort of community where you feel like if you've been able to survive long enough um, to get to that point, I feel like they are great people, you know, and I, and I, and I feel privileged to be just a tiny part of that that community in, in <laughs> I love that mate I love it as you know it's it's it, commentary would be a thing too when you're kind of re- I mean because you are seeing scenarios play out in a similar fashion every week you know so you the, the words you would use to describe it would be similar wouldn't they yeah it's a good point to I call the footy still on uh on channel seven on Saturday nights on the tv yeah. I call radio and you know it's like I, I hate hearing sound of my own voice Back. I'm not sure you're like you know doing the podcast, but it, Kill, it's kills sort of me. like kills me. Like hearing fingernails being dragged down a blackboard, it's that sort of feeling. You probably should listen back more because, exactly as you say, I mean, there's only so many ways you can say someone's kicked a ripping goal or mm. you know someone's bent one from the corner of the pocket, and you, you probably always should be trying to think about different ways to say things. So I'm sure people listening would go, "He does my head in." He, uh, he says the same thing over and over again, but I don't tend to listen back too much. I used to, uh, when I first started out as a journalist, I was writing rugby league sports reports. And the amount of times I used radar right boot. He's got a radar <laughs> right boot. <laughs> and then you just go, I, don't, I think I can get away with it. I haven't used it for about three weeks. <laughs> and then you try not to also rip off other, you know, in AFL, Dennis Committee's got legend, you know, centimetre mm-hmm. perfect or... Bruce McAvoy had this, the sayings that were that were theirs, and mm. suddenly you know you you, you, go, you you can't knock off one of Dennis's lines. That's not cool. So, yeah, but yeah. somewhere in your mind, you've heard that before. So we've we've probably all done it subconsciously, and uh, you know, not meant to. Uh, do you have a motto? No, I don't. Um, but I but I th- sort of been thinking about uh, a little bit of. I'm sitting at my desk at home. Uh, right now, and there's a whole heap of photos sort of on the wall, which mostly were put up by Beck. Um, and there's one that that I don't think through any sense of purpose. It is a picture of my dad and my my grandma. Um, Nana Das lived till she was 94. Um, as I wow. said, dad 
18 months ago. Uh, when I moved to Melbourne to play AFL football, I lived with Nana Das, and she's a bit of a family legend and grew up in a suburb called Sunshine in the inner west of Melbourne here, Adam. And I remember um, yeah, as a kid, you'd sort of hear about my grandma's from Sunshine, and I think I had like Surface Paradise in my mind. You know, <laughs> magical place called Sunshine. I was a little bit underwhelmed when I first uh, moved over and went back to where she grew up in Sunshine. But it's funny because I, I look at them both regularly, you know, not through, I haven't done that for any meaning, but they both had incredible values. They both weren't from a lot. Dad was an only child. As I said, he played at the Bulldogs, um, looking at the photo now, and and um, and I obviously as a kid wanted to play AFL football. He, he commentated on sport, footy and cricket in South Australia. And so he sort of woke up one day and went, geez, I'm, I'm eerily similar, you know, in some ways to him and and which may be the ultimate compliment you could you could have. He was just an extraordinary person. And, you know, his mum uh, was just legendary, cared for so many people, looked after people who had nothing, even when she had nothing herself. So I'm not sure there's a motto wow. there, but if I could be something like their values, I, mm. I look at them a lot and I when, when something's going on, I, I think of them, um, you know, and how they would act is probably a good way to live. That's great. That's lovely. Um, the final question, mate, is if you could go back five years, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, um, you know, five years ago, um, you know, it's, it's happened like the last five years, isn't it, when you think about oh, well, yeah. it's changed a little bit. But, you know, I think more than anything, I, mate, I would just stop and go, geez, you're bloody lucky. You are unbelievably bloody lucky you got this beautiful wife uh, four healthy kids who are really connected in their own way and really passionate and you know extended family you're just really really lucky and just to sort of stop and maybe pause a little bit more and and my problem is i'm always on to the next thing a lot you know what else am i going to do what's the next thing that's coming up that i want to achieve and so i think probably just letting go as well and going that all take care of itself. Like just, just let go of all that. Don't worry about the little things that annoy you. But the sort of, you know, pretty lucky to, you know, have lived a life where you've been healthy and happy and had great people around you. Um, you know, pretty blessed. Thank you so much for tuning into Out of the Question. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. Until next time, thanks for joining us. <laughs>